0: Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast A few housekeeping points before we begin Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced So people, verses, hadith, etc. They are all in the episode notes Which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com Most of the episodes are short form So the notes are few But when you listen to longer form episodes The notes are meant to be a resource and an aid Number two I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. (laughs) If you have ever spent time studying any of the Islamic sciences, one of the patterns that becomes clear is the attention scholars in the past gave to documenting principles, axioms, rules, aphorisms, etc. In almost every discipline, you will find these catalogued, all with the aim of making the study of that particular discipline easy. So rather than always having to start with a minutia and then making sense of it, students typically learn these principles which provide important frameworks to make sense of it all. Now, while these principles are usually for students and experts of these fields, I believe that many Muslims seeking to make sense of Islam require their own set of first principles, through which they can approach Islam as a religion and discipline of study, and also draw conclusions that are both at one with the fundamentals of the faith, and also compatible with our current condition. In this series, And at this point, I'm not exactly sure how long it's going to be, but I will say at least 10 episodes. I want to highlight some of these first principles that help us create a mental framework through which we can make sense of Islam today. Enjoy. So today I want to speak a little bit about Sufism as one of our meta-principles. I have spoken about Sufism or Tasawwuf previously on the podcast for those who are following that's episodes 17, 19, 20, 21, and 22. And over those five episodes, I got into a lot of the details of how Sufism works and how one draws near to God through devotional works, uh, etc. So I spoke about it more as a from the point of view of a practitioner. But today I want to speak about it as a principle. So taking a bird's eye approach to what Sufism or spirituality or Tuskea means and why, We should consider it as one of our meta principles one of our first principles if you've also been listening to the podcast you know a lot of times i like to go back to the hadith of gabriel as a teaching text in which gabriel comes to the prophet peace be upon him and he asks him these four questions he asks him what's islam what's iman what's ihsan and what are the signs of the final hour and we use this text a lot as it helps map out our intellectual framework So when the Prophet answers, peace be upon him, Islam, he says, you know, he mentions the five pillars. And those are actions, those are things that we do, what we call in the study of religion orthopraxy, correct action. And then that evolves into the Sharia sciences. And sciences, plural, meaning all of the sciences that one needs to understand what is correct action. How do you pray? How do you make wudu? How do you fast? How do you make hajj? How do you pay zakah, etc. And then Iman uh, the Prophet, peace be upon him, answers with the six articles of faith. So, obviously, those are issues of faith, of theology, and from that emerges the science of aqidah. Sometimes we call it the science of tawheed, sometimes we call it ilmul kalam, sometimes we call it usul al din, etc. It's several names, but it's, you know, in English we'll just say theology. And then the Prophet, peace be upon him, was asked about ahsan or perfection, and he says in a, in a very beautiful statement that. You know, most of us know and have memorized that we worship God as if we see him. And if we can't, at least we know that he sees us. And Sufism involves this last part. It is the science, again, and that's really important that we remember it's a science, that takes this part of our faith, of our Islam, Islam here with a capital I, and elaborates on how do you achieve that level of worship. What does it mean to worship God as if you see him and if you can't know that he sees you, etc. And that's why it's one of our meta-principles. Just just like Islamic law is a principle and the principles that govern Islamic law, just like theology and the principles that we uh, derive from our theological pursuits, etc., so so is ihsan or we call it tazkiya sometimes or Tasawf in sufism and just a thing on names just just to comment a little tangent on the names all of these names of all of these disciplines and sciences didn't exist in the first generation so fiqh didn't exist as a word or usul al-fiqh or usul al-din or Tasawf. Uh, or even uh, for that matter the sciences or the disciplines of the arabic language Nahu, you know grammar sarf morphology rhetoric etc or logic mantik but these things evolved later and uh, sometimes people will want to say well you know Tasawwuf or sufism there was no sufism nothing was it wasn't called that in the the time of the salaf etc yeah well so nothing else was called what it what we call it today at the time of the salaf these things evolved and that's the natural progression of uh, human uh, efforts to understand the divine text etc So, it is one of our meta principles, meaning that it's not just a cool thing to talk about. And for people that know me or people that listen to this podcast, you know, I like, you know, I I think this is very important, a very important part of our Islamic life on a daily basis. But beyond that, it's a principle, it's a meta principle, meaning that a meta principle for us is self purification. So, it's not simply rules, principles, axioms, a, a list of do's and don'ts it's also the ongoing process of improving ourselves, of bettering ourselves. And if we better, if we're always working on that, then hopefully we'll improve, you know, our, our overall demeanor will be better, our overall behavior will be better, our, the quality of our relationships and our interactions with other people will inevitably be better. Now, it's an infinite process. I mean, there's, there's no limit to how high you can go in this uh, arena. But at least we set our aims very high, set our goals you know very high, and inshallah, when we fall short, we'll, our falling short itself will be higher than if our aim was lower, if that makes sense. So this is why I think it's it's important. Another another uh, concept to keep in mind when we discuss uh, Sufism is that. Like the other sciences, like the legal sciences and the theological sciences and you know all of the supporting sciences of the Arabic language and uh, logic and all of these other things, the ulama engaged in what we call as ijtihad, their own independent reasoning and effort to derive rules, advance the body of knowledge, and give us a more accurate understanding of the Quran and the Sunnah. All the same thing happens in tasawwuf. So... Imam al-Junaid, who is usually uh, we usually attribute as the you know grandfather of this science, he has a very famous statement. Again, one of these uh, principal statements that becomes like a principle in itself. Tariquna hadha wa our path, this path, meaning our approach of tasawwuf of tashkeer, whatever the word is, is guarded by the book, the Quran, and the Sunnah. Meaning that we will engage in our own ijtihad. You know, we, we will have to engage in our own effort. Just like when we try to derive rulings of the Sharia, we have to engage in Ijtihad, or those that are trained rather, have to engage in Ijtihad to do, to give it their best guess, their best attempt at understanding what God wants us to do in this instance or that instance. Likewise, the alimah of Tasawf are the same thing. You know, This is our best attempt of understanding how we can lay out a program of Tazkiyah. But it's guarded by the, the kitab and the sunnah, meaning that we're, that's, that's always going to be our parameter. All of our ijtihad is within the Quran and the sunnah. Just like all of the other sciences, our ijtihad is going to be confined by the principles laid out in the Quran and the sunnah. So, why is this important? Why am I mentioning this about the ijtihad? Because a lot of times, and and tasawuf is one of those principles that for some reason today, well, not for some reason, we kind of know why, but it is uh, attacked, criticized. And a lot of people want to, uh, you'll hear the word bida a lot in association with it. And therefore, they want to discard it. And that itself, the whole reason why I've spent so many episodes talking about principles is that approach of, oh, there's something bad, so let's throw out the whole thing that's not the prophetic approach so the prophet peace be upon him he he didn't do that he didn't throw out everything because there was one or two things that were wrong so for example this and this is a huge like you know glaring example from the sirah the kaaba had idols in and around it over 360 idols until the you know a year or two before the prophet sawsam's passing until the conquest of mecca when he destroyed and removed the idols meaning all those years the the prophet and the companions after the qibla was changed from jerusalem to mecca they were praying towards the kaaba in and around it were all of these idols so did that mean that the prophet worshipped the idols no, of course not that was his you know big mission was to you know bring this message of monotheism et etc. So that didn't prevent him from having a relationship with the Kaaba. The Kaaba, good. Idols, bad. So he can differentiate and also likewise the companions around him were able to differentiate. And one of the main characteristics that our teachers uh, at Al-Azhar would always teach us is it's very important to develop a discerning intellect, a differentiating intellect, that you can differentiate between things. that They might look the same, but when you analyze them, they're not the same, they're different. Part of that, another example that's related to that, is in Surah Al-Baqarah, we have this famous verse that talks about the Safa and, and Marwa. Inna safa wal min the, the mountains of Safa and Marwa are from the signs of, of God, so there is um, it uh, encouraging us that when we go visit the house, or visit the, the Haram sharif that we make sa'i uh, between the Safa and the Marwa, which is a... Uh, uh, sunnah that we follow our uh, mother Hajar and her son Ismail one of the rites of our Umrah and Hajj but in that verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us that the companions some of the companions might have felt that there was a problem because that's what the polytheists of the Quraysh were doing so the polytheists of the Quraysh they had remnants of the religion of Ismail but they added to that other non-monotheistic practices so they would do tawaf they would do sa'i they honored the Kaaba but then they had all of these other idols and gods etc they would call on Allah but they would call on Allah as well as all of these other idols etc so the one of the main tasks of the Prophet Sayyidina Muhammad that is is to help differentiate between these things so this verse reminds the companions that, yeah, okay, th- they were making sa'i. That's actually a good thing. You have to make sa'i too because that's part of the rites of pilgrimage that was established by Abraham and Ismail, alayhim That's not a practice of polytheism. So the Prophet, didn't come and throw out all of the hajj rites because the Quraysh were doing them. He said, no, actually, some of what they were doing was good. We're going to keep that. Uh, but some of what they were doing was, was wrong and incorrect belief, and we're going to correct that. So... When it comes to Sufism, are there people in the name of Tasawwuf who do wrong things or bidah things? Of course. Just like there are people in the name of Islam in general <laughs> that do wrong things and, and do things that are actually Bida. Um, you know, the whole harshness in Islam to make everything haram, that itself is a bidah. You know, that whole maybe what I would call my main gripe, you know, the, the main group that I'm trying to help protect us from for those that listen to this and find any benefit in this podcast or any of my other works is that so that itself is a bidah uh, but is are some of their claims correct you have to look at them you know of course some of them might be correct just like some of the practices of people that that follow tasawwuf or take it seriously are also correct so just because something might in itself be wrong from our legal perspective it doesn't mean we throw the whole thing out so in other words just because there have been claims and a lot of them are claims by the way that people in the name of tasawwuf or in the name of sufism engaged in it doesn't mean that that tasawuf somehow as a body of knowledge is discarded and the reason i began by citing the hadith of gabriel is to indicate that it is part and parcel of our islam islam with a capital i just like our legal sciences just like our theological sciences so to our spiritual discipline is part and parcel of the package and therefore makes it a meta principle a first principle of islam so coming just sort of uh, drawing, uh, the conclu- drawing the drawing the conversation uh, to an end and as i've gotten into a lot more detail in the previous episodes just it, it bears reminding that tasawwuf or the path of of self-purification in Islam, is based on two main concepts. The first concept is dhikr, invocation, and the second is fiqr, contemplation. And these are the things that God asks us to do constantly throughout the Qur'an. When it comes to fiqr, when it comes to contemplation, again, throughout the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us that contemplation is of two kinds, meaning that we contemplate the revelation itself so we contemplate like the verses of the quran we contemplate and we reflect about the life of the prophet saw what we would call quote unquote religious but there's also the contemplation and reflection on the quote and the quote the secular or more maybe appropriately the created universe and the, or the world around us uh, in Surah Al-Alaq, you know, the first chapter uh, that was revealed to the Prophet, peace be upon him, God says, "Iqra bismi alladhi khalaq." You know, Recite in the name of your Lord who created you, and this the ulama understand as a an injunction to reflect on ourselves as as creation, and therefore the world in which we were created around. You know the environment, nature, social interaction, uh, human relations, history, etc. And then later in the in the in the chapter god says to recite again uh, the one who taught you by the pen meaning the revelation so there are two books quote-unquote and this is uh, the understanding of imam al-razi for example there is the the written book the quran and then there is the observable book the universe so contemplation is not just purely quote-unquote religious stuff or verses or hadith it's also to think and reflect around the world around us and what is the rhyme and reason behind creation? And then there's dhikr, the invocation, which itself is its you know own, own topic really. But it's important for us to remember that invocation is based on the concept of expansiveness, meaning that it's open and not restricted, just like contemplation. So in other words, we are not limited to invocation and prayers that come to us from the Sunnah, and I know some people might hear this and be like, "Oh my God, what's here? We go. You know, what's going on? Well, how do? Well, how could you say that?" Meaning that when God says, "Ya <laughs> kathira," all you who believe remember God often, often all the time, night and day. So that's all the time. So it's not just you know saying subhanallah 33 times alhamdulillah 33 times allahu akbar 33 times after the prayer i mean you can do more than that is doing more than that haram or bidah? no it's not it's just more and this happened at the, at the time of the prophet peace be upon him for example the talbiyah, the statements that we recite when we're in a state of la uh, labayk allahum la etc as we are going to perform our umrah or our hajj the prophet sallallahu himself he had one formula what we would call one quote unquote sunnah formula but some of the other companions they had other formulas, and this is you know well documented in our hadith literature. And the Prophet saw you know, left them. That's fine. He, he he acknowledged that you know that's just another form of of answering the call to God to perform pilgrimage. There's nothing wrong with that. So this is where a lot of people levy incorrectly the the concept of bidah towards some of the spiritual practices, and it's important. And again, I don't want to get into the details. If, for details, people can listen to previous episodes uh, if they're interested. And then maybe in in future class or something, I might have a separate set of audios that really talk about this in, in more detail. But I'm, I just want to speak about it as a uh, from a principled point of view. That the concept of invocation Islam is something that is open-ended. You know, do it a lot, all the time, God is telling you. Uh, and there are books like the Book of Imam Nawawi al adhkar which is a very fine translation in English, the Book of Remembrance. Uh, that's a collection of all of the Sunnah duas that the Prophet peace be upon him would say for all sorts of occasions. Uh, so do those and more, and, and do what you are inclined to, because if you're inclined to something, it means you'll 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 probably stick with it, and then that will be your, you know, your vessel that will sort of you'll you'll ride that to your, uh, in your journey to, to God as it were uh so on and so forth so this these are just some principled thoughts about tasawuf tazkaya why it's a principle of islam and if we remember that then we can remember that every time we engage in an you know in in answering a question what does islam say about this what does islam say about that what should muslims do here what should muslims do there it's always going to be regulated by this principle of of purification you know, where is the Ihsan? Where is the purity, the excellence in this answer? And if you, if we start to think like that, then it's almost like we it's a check and balance for our answers, a check and balance for our conduct to make sure that our conduct does not end up negating Islam itself because some Muslims, they do that. They think that they're doing the right thing, but what they're doing negates Islam in its entirety. In other words, when you see people act in the name of Islam, you're like, that's, that's crazy. That's not Islam. And you're right, that's not Islam. But in the name of Islam, they've done this, they've done that. And people that don't understand the details, they'll say, oh, you know, this, this religion is crazy. These people are crazy. All they want to do is, you know, create bloodshed and destruction, etc., etc. So that's why I added the, the, the issue of tasawwuf or tazki as a, as a meta principle, as a first principle uh, to, help, to help us, you know, keep those in mind. I'll speak to you all soon.